You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. My guest today is Ashley Hasiotis, and she is an intuitive energy healer and a Chopra Center certified meditation coach, as well as the author of The Unspoken. After collapsing into chronic pain from both excessive overworking and suppressed childhood trauma, Ashley underwent a transformative spiritual healing. And in recounting this experience, her memoir emerged. And drawing upon her own experience, Ashley is devoted to helping others work through difficult experiences and deep trauma. And as a personal coach, Ashley helps clients who are feeling stuck, struggling, or undergoing a major life shift. And through the charity she founded, One Mission, Ashley helps children and families navigate pediatric cancer and heal after treatment. So let's welcome the author of The Unspoken and founder of One Mission, Ashley Hasiotis. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off and say that I read your book. And I will have to say uh, with great sincerity and honesty that just getting through the very first part of the book, I, I'm, I'm thinking it may be the prologue, actually. And I literally had tears in my eyes when I got to the end of it. Oh, your story um, and experience uh, with your son was wow that was deeply moving can you kind of walk us through that uh that uh a season of your life yeah well that chapter uh is well one of the chapters of nicholas is the story that the day that we got he got diagnosed with cancer so um you know i kind of believe that the energy of the universe is always working for us uh, i was in the mortgage business for eight years working like a dog and got pregnant with Nicholas. The plan was for me to stay home. Long story short, I decided I was going to get into philanthropy, helping other people. So we started raising money for children who were fighting cancer. And then two months later, my own child was diagnosed with cancer. Crazy, right? <laughs> wow. So how long was the time between Nicholas getting diagnosed, which I believe he was, what, only seven months old, with a type of leukemia that we normally see in people over the age of 55. Mm -hmm. And when did uh, he end up getting the all clear? So they, they consider you five years after treatment that you're cured. So it was um, September of 2014, if I did that math right in my head. And um, yeah, so he was just a little tyke when they when we found out that he had cancer and we stayed in the hospital for 188 straight days we never never went home uh and it was pretty much the catalyst for me starting one mission and was this part of the catalyst that inspired you to write this book and share your very deep personal story it was not <laughs> really it was not no i did not actually know that i was going to write a book uh, people had been telling me for many years to write a book because I'm very open about just everything in my life. I share my struggles and my vulnerabilities and people in my, and I had all these clients that I was helping through my Reiki practice and people would say, oh my gosh, you need to write a book. And 
to be honest with you, and I'm sure the listeners may feel this way as well, I didn't really feel like my story was any more special than anybody else's story. And so I just kind of, and I also was like, you know, downplaying what happened to me in my life. Like, oh, people have it so much worse than me, you know, which is really common. Um, and so I never thought it was that important, but I had, you know, a real catalyst moment where I was bedridden with migraines and I literally, like, I call it like I was naked alone in the woods. I was totally lost. I was unable to work, unable to take care of my family. I was literally living in the room I'm giving you this interview in. Couldn't even make it up the stairs in my house and I just became lost. And when I finally found a chronic pain coach to help me through this healing that I knew I needed to do with, you know, with these chronic migraines, um, I was, I found a great pain coach and I was going through like my initial session with her and it was that day, we were in lockdown. It was that day I hit end on my Zoom, opened up Word, and I just started typing. I had no idea what I was typing or what I was typing it for, but six weeks later, I looked down and I'd written 85,000 words. So, you know, again, in lockdown, drinking my millionth bottle of wine, told my husband, I was like, hey, I think I wrote a book. <laughs> now, why did you title the book The Unspoken? So many working titles to that book. Um, the original uh, title was uh, Spiritual Rehab, which I thought was so cool. No one liked it except for me. Uh, the Unspoken, because it was, it was truly all of the unspoken in my life that I was bottling up, pushing down, did not want to connect with, that I believe ultimately, you know, led me to my crash and burn of my chronic pain and anxiety. Well, I have to commend you, Ashley, because as I was reading through the book, you really wore your heart on the sleeve. Uh, you didn't really hide. I mean, you would suppress things, but you didn't really hide the emotion. And what I liked about the, your story is that anyone who reads The Unspoken can take away things and see things in their own life that may mirror certain situations or seasons that you had gone through. Um, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Ashley's book, The Unspoken, is I'm not it's it's not a deep read, and and I say that where to encourage you that to read this. Um, it's a very fast read. I will say that, which is great for a lot of us today, but it is an emotional roller coaster of a book mm -hmm. but you know you bring forth great hope um and for those of of my viewers and listeners right now ashley what takeaways might the reader be left with after reading the book i think you're right by the way i think that anyone who's reading it whether they identify with childhood trauma or having a chronically ill, you know, and critically ill sick child, they don't have to have that in order to really connect with and resonate with the book. I feel like we all have trauma on some level. I had a session with a client this morning who was telling me this really deep story about being in nine years old and being asked to read in front of the class. And it was super traumatic for her because she had dyslexia, but nobody knew. And that has stuck with her. She's almost 60 years old. 
And so there's moments that, of me sharing my story that truly, I believe, give permission to the readers to connect with their own story and then to share their story, right? That's how we heal. I kind of believe that's really the only purpose that we're here on this earth is to share in a human moment with somebody else. Well, you know, your book is uh, multifaceted. It's almost like watching a television drama with multiple stories going on. Mm -hmm. You and your husband had the situation with Nicholas, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with pediatric cancer. Um, the story that kept coming back into that book was your relationship with your mother. Mm -hmm. That is a that is something that um, that's a whole story in itself. Mm -hmm. And then you finding your way of healing and then getting to that point of actually crashing and burning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and for you to say that, oh, other people have it much worse. I, you know, sometimes, you know, when I look at your story, sometimes I don't think so, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, because that, that, <clears throat> that is an emotional load that you were carrying in much different parts and they were they were crisscrossing one another uh in different moments <clears throat> of your life and uh i think my question to you at this moment is how are you actually doing right now i'm doing fantastic and i think it's really important for people to know right especially if they are planning on reading the book i've never felt better in my entire life and i'm almost 50 years old um, i feel more connected to my purpose i feel happier than i ever have and i also feel empowered to have what i would consider difficult conversations that i was historically afraid to have and you know for those of people who are listening who are married right like our spouses are our biggest triggers. They are. And so being able to feel empowered to have these really meaningful and healing conversations at home changes your whole perspective on life. I share a lot about my marriage in that book, which I was, to be honest with you, commend my husband for allowing me to do. <laughs> well, you know, there was a there was almost a secret underlying theme that I was picking up in your book. And it's, it's one of those subconscious kind of things that as you read someone else's story, you start seeing something. And there were, there were, there were many times in which I noticed where you would basically say, I can't do this. Um, I can't talk to so-and-so, but you found the inner strength to go do it. Mm -hmm. And where many of us, well, we don't want confrontation and we want to go run and we want to go hide. And mm -hmm. there may have been times in your story that it happened, but I always picked up the fact that when it, when it came to that breaking point, you, you went. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of that, uh, was towards the end of your mother's life that mm -hmm. I noticed that, you know, you, you didn't want to go in the, you didn't want to go in that hospital room, but right. you did anyway. And mm -hmm. for you, with that story, did it, did you get closure? As much as I possibly could closure. I feel like, you know, you kind of have to have two parties to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I had to get my own closure through forgiveness. Right. Um, which I think a lot of us end up doing with our family members. And so I actually think I have a better relationship now with my mother than I did when she was alive. 
Well, you know, I noticed that in the book, there were there are two powerful words that uh, you said to your mother before you left. And you said, I forgive you and I love you. And, and the way that she had treated you throughout life, that took a lot of strength to do that. It took a lot of strength and it took a lot of um, self-love and observation. Now, observation is critical for all healing and all catalyst of change, right? Like you need to be able to observe yourself and others and, you know, driving to see her on her last day in that snowstorm, you know, I had nothing but thoughts, no time, you know, hours in the drive. And I really did come to terms with the fact that she did the best that she could with the tools that she had. Like we all come from our environment and we're products of our childhood. So while it didn't take away the terrible things that she did, it did give me the ability to say like, I think if she could have done it better, she would have. And now I just need to let that go. Yeah. And and I'm so glad that uh, you said that because a lot of people, I I want to say a lot of uh, children, grown up children, Mm -hmm. we need to all realize that uh, our parents were never handed a manual how to be a parent. Mm-hmm. and some of them get it right, some of them get it wrong, and sometimes it's 50-50, but I think as we grow up and mature, we need to look back and go, hey, they did the best they could because, hey, just like us, we either learn from our mistakes or we're winging it. Mm-hmm. And also, abuse begets abuse. So it's very unlikely if you have a, a, had a parent who emotionally or physically abused you that they weren't also themselves abused. And so that was a level of compassion that I had for my mother on that day driving to say goodbye to her. Why I realized like, wow, she must have been a tormented child as well. And I picked that up. I picked that up when I I read the book because there's always a story behind the other story. And Mm -hmm. and I picked that up about your your mother, that there was probably something there, uh, insecurities. Um, You brought up things like jealousy. Uh, in the book, which is a very powerful chapter. But let's talk about the unspoken. So mm-hmm. how can we become our own best healer after trauma and create our own toolbox? Great question. Uh, honestly, just start. You just have to start. There's no perfect path to healing. There's no perfect modality. You have to find what resonates with you. And that's why in the book, I shared a lot of the modalities, not everything, but a lot of what I tried because I wanted to give them, you know, the readers a taste of like what it would look like and feel like for them. But you just have to start because otherwise you're going to get frozen in the fear of not knowing or the fear of needing it needing to be perfect. And likely what you start off with won't be how you end in your healing journey. But it's really about being willing to get curious, being willing to forgive yourself too, not just the people who have wronged you, um, and to be really and truly present with yourself. Yeah, you know, you you covered so many different life challenges in your book. And, and ladies and gentlemen, you need to read this book, and I, and I will tell you why. If you've ever had a child, if you ever had your child sick and you didn't know if they were going to survive, Uh, a loss of a loved one, you were dealing with uh, physical, mental trauma and you're like, you know, is this all all life is going to be? 
Well, to me, the book, The Unspoken, kind of opens up and becomes the toolbox, just like you said, Ashley, to help people navigate. And at the same time, you know, going through our own healing process is a trial and error type situation. It is. It is. And some people, we know, we, we can get stuck in the, like, bad things happen to me. Why do bad things keep happening to me? And I think the reality is, and I'm sure you agree with this, like, bad things happen to a lot of people. It's how we handle them, you know, that makes all the difference between whether we're suffering or whether we're living. Yeah, much. Yeah, very much so. And one of the things um, I noticed in the book, um, your background, and, and I'm just going to touch on this lightly. From the, you were you grew up Catholic, is that correct? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I noticed throughout the book. Um, this spiritual sense mm-hmm. in the book. And, you know, a lot of people, uh, depending on how, you know, if they, if they grew up with any type of spiritual religious background as a child, there's always those little nuggets that always stick with them. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that with you in this book. And uh, you did rely on, on God. I mean, mm-hmm. plain and simple. And you even mentioned that to other people. And and I've done this with others, and you you do it now with boldness, and you do ask people, do you believe in God? Why is that important? So some people have an aversion to God, and I can appreciate that. They feel, again, like God abandoned them. God let bad things happen to them. So for me... I will, I will absolutely ask them that. And then at the same time, if they say no, I say, well, do you believe that there is a higher power that created the universe that help makes them, you know, the, the moon pull in the ocean and the stars sparkle in the night? If they can agree that there's something out there, then that's the very important part of a first step, believing that you're not alone and believing that we are all interconnected. They eventually, literally nine out of 10 clients, eventually get there on their own, even if they adamantly do not believe at all. Yeah. They're doing the healing work, right? It's that human connection, that human moment where you feel seen and heard by somebody else and you can experience true empathy from another human. That's when you realize like, wow, there really is a shared experience here. And so... Is it absolutely important that they believe in God? No, I did. And I also left God. Don't forget. And by the way, I might go to church like five times a year. Like, well, it's not just, I'm not this like, you know, God old person. But, um, you know, I, uh, it is important for people to subscribe to some belief system there. Um, yeah. But God was a big piece of it for me. I, I always knew that he was, he, she, whoever was there with me, even in my times of loneliness. And even when I was really mad. Yes. And I saw some of the anger (laughs) in the book and completely justified. And ladies and gentlemen, when you read Ashley's book, The Unspoken, what I appreciated in the book was you put the emotion down on paper Mm -hmm. to let people know you don't have to walk around bottling it all up. It's okay to let it out because there's more damage by keeping it in. So, Ashley, for you, 
What were some of the physical symptoms you experienced before actually getting help? As young as five years old, I had stomach aches, headaches. I pretty much felt dizzy my whole life. Um, as I grew older, my anxiety showed up in the form of pounding heart rate, um, again, more dizziness, sweaty palms, like profusely sweating. I remember being in high school, like I was always sweating. And I kept saying to everybody, that's because I'm Italian. But I mean, I was like profusely sweating. Uh, and then as I got older, it became like full on anxiety, like afraid to go places, uh, you know, just a fear became like intertwined in every decision that I made. Then the migraine started. Mm-hmm. Now, was the migraines was the migraine strictly from just the overbearing stress that you were enduring? I believe all chronic and illnesses have a have an emotional root in the body, and there's a ton of science around that, by the way. So, um, you know, it started off as you know, I have this pain here, I have this weird thing here. And I, it was the whole time my body like, hi, we're in here. We're not okay. Can you pay attention to us? And um, so then the migraine started. And of course, I did what every other person does. I went to every doctor possible, had MRIs, had CAT scans. There was nothing, quote unquote, physically wrong with me. And yes, I was having debilitating migraines. Lots of people get migraines. So there was nobody who was saying to me like, hey, I think your stress level is making you sick. They just, Western medicine, honestly, they don't have time for that. No, no, it's absolutely true. I, about a a month or so ago, I interviewed uh, an expert who focused on women's health to find out why most women do not seek help for their own health. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the, I think the three categories that she mentioned when a woman goes to the doctor says, this is what's wrong with me. The doctor treats women differently than men. So with women, it's more like, so are you have anxiety, stress, or depression? They think that's the cause of all the women's problems. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem in medical science today. Yeah, it is. And You know, and I do think that our emotions, pent up or otherwise, are a big player in how women feel. But it's also about the fact that we're people pleasers and we put ourselves last, right? So we're going to be the last person to go to the doctors. But the question begets like, so why am I a people pleaser? Why am I putting myself last, right? That's a huge, I mean, we could spend a whole hour on that. <laughs> well, did you, well, you know, you bring up a good point there because, you know, I've noticed with a lot of people, myself included, I'm not immune to what, you know, what we all live through, but with your story, did you start seeing a reoccurring cycle that you needed to break? I didn't. Yes, it was there all along. I actually didn't see it until I was in my darkest moments. And I described this moment where my priest literally came to give me last rites because I was like, that's it, I'm done. Like, this is the rest of my life. I'm going to be stuck in a dark room, can't, can't live, can't do anything. And he asked me, why do you think that you're sick, Ashley? And I said, I have no idea, Father. He said, I think you know. And I think you need to pray on it. I think you need to ask yourself, why is it that you're sick? And so that's all I did for the remaining three months that I was, you know, I kept saying like, Tell me, God, show me the reason. Show me why I'm not well. 
And one by one, all of my responsibilities were being stripped away from me. I couldn't work. I couldn't take care of my kids. I wasn't present for my husband. And then I was literally alone with myself, which is kind of scary, right? Alone with myself, alone with my thoughts, no distractions. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't use my phone. I was literally with myself. And so I got to know myself on a really deep level. And I realized, oh my gosh, every moment of every day is wrought with anxiety and fear. And so it was just this moment where I, I just was looking, like I was observing my life, like from that 10,000 foot view and saying like, wow, it's everywhere. And look at all the ways it's playing itself out in my marriage, in my work, with my employees, with my friends, with everything. And that was when I realized I have to literally deconstruct my entire life or I'm never going to get Well, better. did you, were you able to find out what the root of your fear was? Because fear is what really sets the ball rolling and we have to learn how to stop it. Yeah, we do. And so fear for me became, it's kind of like a symptom of the abandonment and the neglect and the abuse of my mother. So when children are abused, they shut down and they become fearful of the next moment, waiting for the next shoe to drop, right? Like, what kind of mood is she going to be in when she comes home? Did I do anything wrong? Did I line up the tables right? Did I pick up the crumbs? Did I drink something I wasn't supposed to drink? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, how bad is it going to be? And that hypervigilance, unfortunately for me, became habitual because I lived with her for so long. And then I didn't resolve that trauma. So that waiting for the next, and then Nicholas, right? And then my niece dying. And then there was a whole other host of things that happened after that. So my brain literally got the message, bad things happen, be prepared. You know, I think a lot of people needed to, to basically sit in a room by themselves, no electronics, and yeah. liter literally ask the question, you know, God, what is going on with me? Simple. Mm -hmm. You know, he'll answer. That's the way I look at it. He will answer one way or another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more and more I kept reading your story, I kept learning that there, there's always this saying that says, your test becomes your testimony. Mm -hmm. and yours did. Mm -hmm. And, did. but I want to ask you something about one mission. You said that yep. you started one mission before Nicholas was diagnosed or after? No, after. after. It was after we got home. I had started raising money for children with cancer before he got sick, but I hadn't started my own charity yet. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now there was something else in the book that uh, I want to bring up because I know people like this. And uh, as I was going, as I was reading through page after page. What was that moment like for you when you realized how spiritually sensitive you were? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Empath, empath, yeah. So when did I know it? Um, well, I knew it all along, right? Like I knew when I was at, a, even in college and high school, when I was at parties, I liked to have my back to the wall. I liked to be able to look out. When I would walk into a room, even at a very young age, I assessed the situation. Who's here? Who's safe? Who's not safe? So it was something I had from a very young age. When I was, after my grandfather died, when I was 10, I started seeing him. 
and didn't tell a soul. Um, and so there was a lot of those moments, but it was really after I got attuned to Reiki. When I got my first Reiki attunement, um, which it can for some people, it really opened me up energetically. And I became, you know, extremely, extremely sensitive. That's gotten a lot better because mm -hmm. I know how to hone my skills. And I also know what's good for me and what's not. So I have to have boundaries. Trauma children don't have boundaries, right? We're people pleasers right. and we just say yes to everything. So um, yeah, being an empath was and still is one of my best and worst qualities. <laughs> I, 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 re I read that in the book where you said, it, it's, a, it's a blessing and it can be a curse, yeah. especially if you don't know how to yes. handle it. And for a lot of people, they can go through their whole life and not realize how spiritually sensitive they are. I mean, I know people that uh, I have walked into a home with, and then they'll just stand in there and go, someone died in this house. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how would you know that? Yeah. But there was, you know, there's just, there's just that knowing. There's just that, I guess, that deep sense of intuition of mm -hmm. something going on that you know has happened in a particular place. Has that happened to you? All the time. And I, you know, I, I know people are pregnant before they're pregnant. Sometimes I know people are going to call before they call. I know why they're calling. Um, I know when people are lying, which is unfortunate because people lie a lot. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the empath stuff, by the way, it's, I think in my experience personally, but also with my clients, there's a lot of trauma children who are now adults who are empaths who don't know they're empaths. And I believe empaths are born to heal, not heal necessarily other people, but born to heal themselves. So we show up in this life as sensitive and we are sensitive so that we can feel our way through healing. Ah, wow. Well, uh, you know, um, again, I mean, your book is, it can be a roadmap for a lot of people out there that have dealt with so many different situations. And, uh, you know, I never had to deal with, you know, a child uh, that had cancer. My brother did and, and his son passed away. And, uh, you know, loss is, can be very traumatic for a lot of people. Like you had written in your book about your, your grandfather. And, you know, trauma can, again, come through situations like you had with your mother. But your book really brings forth areas in which people can un start understanding and get their eyes open and ask the right questions and really find healing over these types of situations. Thanks. I'm glad. And I wanted it to be something that the average person, well, you know, once I realized I wrote the book, I figured, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to do this thing. I, you know, I'm halfway there now. Um, I really wanted it to feel authentic and real. Like I'm having a conversation, like we're having this conversation, right? I wanted people to be able to see themselves on the pages and have it not be this like grandiose teaching because it, it's not about that. It's about me just sharing my story to give permission to other people to heal. Like if I can do it, you can do it. Trust me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, we think about some of these traumatic life events that people go through and you're thinking, how in the world did they get through that? Mm -hmm. And 
again, it, for me, and many of you know by watching that um, I'm not shy, that, uh, you know, when you turn towards the Lord, you're going to get an answer. You just got to be, keep what I say, keep the ears open and be willing. And, and that's the thing I, I learned out of your book, Ashley, is be willing. Be willing to seek healing because there is healing out there for every single person. No one, you know, there is always something that someone can seek and be better. And, and I like the way that your book is written. Like I said, it's a fast read, and, uh, but you get a lot of it. And, and like, you know, like you said, you know, here you and I are having a conversation. Your book is almost like an open conversation. It's almost like letting us, the reader, come into your life and hearing you have all of these conversations with all of these different types of situations. That alone, I think, will help people and bring healing into their life. Thank you. Well, I write how I talk. <laughs> That's the best way. But I want to ask you something about One Mission. Um, how in the world did you start One Mission uh, with dealing all of, with and dealing with all of these other struggles. Well, I talk about that in the book. Like I used my anxiety as fuel. Really, I mean, I was so uncomfortable. I didn't even know this at the time, but I was so uncomfortable slowing down. I was so uncomfortable just being with myself. I mean, like, right? Yeah. If I had even a two hours of downtime on a Saturday, I I would literally clean the garage, like oh, the whole thing, take everything out reclean it even though i had just done that two months before i could not sit still and that's a really common thing with people who have had trauma and who have chronic anxiety so i i think listen ev there's good and bad to everything in life good and bad to every experience we have the good part of the anxiety that i had was that i used it as fuel and i've helped you know over 40,000 families. We've raised over $15 million. So that's a great thing that's come out of it. The bad thing was I didn't know how to slow down and I crashed and burned. Yeah, you know, I think burnout creeps up on us. It just doesn't just show up. It, it, it's an accumulation of time. And, and I can be the same way. I don't like sitting around. Even if I go get my hair cut, I will literally sit in that chair and almost start falling asleep because I'm not used to sitting still. Uh-huh. And it's always, you know, for me, I like to go, go, go. Um, but I also believe in not being a busybody and wasting time. So there's right. different areas of that. But for all of my television viewers and my radio listeners and podcast listeners, where can they go learn more about your business, about One Mission, and purchase your book? Yeah. So they can purchase the book on Amazon, easiest way to get it. They'll get it in a couple of days. Um, and if they would like to make a donation to help support One Mission, they can text ASH, A-S-H, to 44321 if they want. But onemission.org is our website. Um, my website, if they are inspired and want to learn more, I have a bunch of free meditations on my website. They can book a session with me. That's ashleyhasiotis.com. Um, and I am Ashley has love on Instagram. Hey, fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, again, this, this is an amazing book. Ashley Hasiotis, the unspoken, a soul's reflection on healing from abuse, 
neglect, and chronic pain. So if you have dealt with issues in your life and, and you don't really know which way to turn, sometimes, many times, it helps to read someone else's story who went through a traumatic experience, and for Ashley, more than one, and came out the other side with, well, with love, with hope, with energy, and most of all, healing. So for those of you who want to get her book, The Unspoken, of course, like she said, Amazon.com is the easiest place. Or if you want to, go to theunspokenbook.com. And Ashley, what will all of my viewers and listeners find on that website? They, there's a book trailer. There's just more information and nuggets. It also gives a link to my other website as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, again, The Unspoken, a soul's reflection on healing from abuse, neglect, and chronic pain. It's worth the read, and it will definitely lead you down the right path. Again, Ashley, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the program, sharing your story, and sharing that, uh, hey, healing is for everyone. It is. We're all worthy of it, and my heart is very full. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from Ashley. You are worthy of healing. Stick with me. I will be right back after these messages. <laughs> 